Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. All right. Good morning, Holly. Hi, Bill. There's a setup here. Hey, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Okay. Um, guess what I want to talk about today? Who do you want to talk about today? Black holes. Oh my gosh. Tell me more because I just was writing about black holes yesterday. Well, because sort of we're working our way into or out of one. <laughs> and I read, I read today, I'm reading uh, Judy Canava's book, mm-hmm. which you do not need to read. I mean, you, you, I, I think about you and I think, oh my God, Holly is so far down the road with this. But you read, you did read Field of Compassion. So yeah. you know that she is this, uh, she was this profoundly spiritual person. I don't know what her academic training is, mm-hmm. but uh, something else I read recently referred me to another book of hers, which is called Radical Amazement. And I decided to read it. And again, mm-hmm. there's nothing in Radical Amazement that I have not learned from you, thank goodness. And um I just think what a what a rich resource of material you bring oh. to ordinary life. But I- anyway, today I was reading about black holes, hmm. and of course I don't understand really about black holes except um, the man who recently died, a British um, affected by ALS. Oh, who didn't, uh, gosh, no voice. Um, yeah. In a, ooh. Keep going. I'll get there. But you do know who I'm talking <laughs> yes. about. Anyway, Stephen Hawking. Yes. Yeah. I was about to say Richard Dawkins, but he's another atheist writer. It's Stephen Hawking. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 Stephen Hawking hypothesized that you could get out of a black hole mm-hmm. <laughs> if there were these two particles that were split, right? One's mm-hmm. in the hole and one's outside, mm-hmm. and they can rejoin outside the black hole. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. Well, let's, have you heard that? Let's say that we're talking about black holes on two different levels. So, one is the metaphorical level of the black hole, two is the actual physical level of the black hole. And what scientists know is that we don't know a lot about black holes. We only guess at how they operate based on what happens to matter and energy as they, as it nears the black hole. So we, as it nears the edge, which we call the event horizon of the black hole and, and what, what, what is seen in as much as we have ever seen or guesstimated how this energy works is that it stretches the particles, right? And it stretches the particles. So there's a beautiful metaphor in that too. We are stretched when facing the unknown, right? That's the beautiful metaphor. So what happens uh, if, if objects enter the black hole is that we, we aren't able to see them again. But the question is whether there's an other side, as you say, to the black hole. And one hypothesis is that what comes through the black hole, which may in fact be destroyed into many, many particles, recreates itself into something new. It may be the origin of new galaxies and universes, 
that this energy comes through. And as you say, these, these things reconnect on the other side to become something else. Well, she said that if you were like in a spaceship and you were heading toward a black hole, after you passed the event horizon, mm -hmm. you would eventually get stretched as thin as a piece of spaghetti. Right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and still be alive. I doubt it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it certainly is an awful lot of compression on our bodies to imagine coming out alive. But what is certain, I mean, this operates on another law of physics, is that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed. Again, another incredible metaphor for how we deal with energy and social relationships and our interactions. Um, how do we recreate energy or transform energy so that it can present in the most effective, positive, loving manner. I do think energy can also be created or transformed into something that's not beneficial, that's not healthy. I mean, the, the paradigm is that we always exist in dark and light, both. We always exist in good and evil, both of them. Black holes, and then they theorize that there's these white holes so white holes are almost like the, in, the exit point um, mm -hmm. that matter distributes, redistributes itself. Does that make sense? So on the opposite side of a black hole is a white hole. I never heard of white holes till today. Mm. I, think my, I think my brain may explode. Well, but... you've been stretched to your event horizon and there's right. growth there. So just lean in. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's really... Um... I've been thinking about how you and I have been so affected by Ilya Delio, Michael Moorewood, and now this woman. And, and I'm, you know, you, all the people that you've introduced me to, Brian Swim and, mm -hmm. and others, it just, it, it just explodes our understanding about who we are and the kind of world we live in and trying to use the, um, religious language and categories that we grew up with is just no longer workable. Yeah, it's, it becomes limiting unless we only ever speak in metaphor, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, it, I think this is my challenge. Oh, here's a little celebration. Yesterday, I got advanced to candidacy in my PhD program, which means my proposal has been approved and edited to everyone's liking, and I can proceed into the actual writing. So I'm officially, oh, cool. yeah, a, a, a candidate. Um, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, a lot of my work is about less, uh, could be, could be summed up in the question is, is love the heart of reality? And if love is the heart of reality, how does it inform our behaviors, thoughts, and beliefs? And I'm specifically writing around the disunion caused by racism. And can we as white folks in America imagine healing that disunion within ourselves so that we may also heal it at the social level? And talking through this idea of love uh, at, at the heart of reality really is asking me to reimagine language. What do I mean by love? Is love the tension of opposites? 
is love what we call God. Um, it's really asking me to reimagine a lot of language. You know, I was reading um, Bonhoeffer, um, his book on ethics, which was his final work before he was hung in a concentration camp. And it was unfinished too. And he writes that our shame is rooted in this disunion from God, what I call reality, what we could call love. And then until we can sort of heal that shame, which is the ability to see the self in all things and all things in the self, then we will remain in disunion. And I'm not mm -hmm. finished with the book, but I think the call is to really examine that ethic of love or union as the restorative force in our lives that restores us to origin, that restores us to our nature, that restores us to the nature of the universe. You know, if we are to talk about God in a classical sense, we were given free will. And at the moment that we were given free will, God, in a sense, stepped out of the picture and said, you guys got to figure this out. A good friend of mine who is now deceased once said to me, God loves us so much that God will not interfere with our freedom to destroy ourselves. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and not, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Let, let, let me ask you kind of a really topical sociological mm -hmm. question since you're interested in this. Yesterday, we found out that the men who murdered Armin Arbery were additionally sentenced on hate crimes. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that there's probably no change in our culture about the degree and number of crimes that are committed out of racial hatred. Yeah. That's been maybe pretty constant since the beginning of this nation's founding. Right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's certainly gotten into a much more visible space in just the last 10 years or yeah. since the murder of George Floyd mm -hmm. or maybe Trayvon Martin. Yeah, and I would say that it's gotten more visible to the whole society rather than only held by one aspect of society who feared that kind of violence being exacted against themselves, mm -hmm. you know, namely black so men. Yeah. How do you, as somebody who is going to put this in your PhD <laughs> stuff, kind of uh, see either hope or despair mm -hmm. um, in what's going on in our culture at the moment? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll start with despair because I was just writing about this yesterday too. Um, despair, which we might equate with hopelessness, is not actually devoid of hope. We experience hopelessness because we have once experienced hope, right? It's the other face of hope. So the invitation I think is to be in that, that tension on the event horizon between hope and hopelessness. If we feel hopeless, we have once felt hope. If we give in to hopelessness, 
we, we die either a, a psychological, a spiritual or an actual death, right? But if we are able to hold the tension, I think they can inform each other and actually excite each other. Um, so that's, you know, and I just read an essay recently. I, I sent it to you, the essay by Cornel West about uh, being prisoners of hope. And ironically, the last sentence of that essay is, um, lean into despair, but don't give despair the last word. So that's an invitation to swing to the other side of hopelessness towards hope. What do I see that is giving me energy and hope that maybe not in my lifetime, maybe not in my kids, but that we are leaning toward being in the messy middle. Mm -hmm. I will say artists. I love what artists are creating right now. There is such a rich body of work being created by so many people that are challenging um, status quo, that are challenging behaviors, challenging violence. And I use the term artist loosely. I think it's anyone who is doing creative thinking in the world and putting it out there. So, and I also think of creativity and art as sort of reaching out to the future and pulling something from that future back to the now. And I guess that's what gives me hope is I see a lot of incredible, challenging, beautiful art being created right now. So that leads me to, it just made the connection in my mind about the work that you're doing with Iconoclast. Those are young artists, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is this where you're seeing some of this? Yeah. So one of the things we start with in Iconoclast when we do a lesson, and I, I don't teach in the classrooms. I do train teachers. We did that Monday all day. And um, we start by asking students, how are you feeling right now? We give them a feelings wheel and they're able to look at the feelings wheel and just name a couple of emotions that are most up. Then we go through the lesson and we, they create a poem that's often narrative and personal in style. We talk about the meaning, we talk about what we're connecting it to. And then we ask at the end of the lesson, how are you feeling right now? And what we're looking for is not so much a change from worse to better or better to worse, but awareness of what arises. And what we see is that that awareness creates the ability to begin to heal, right? When we can name something, we can heal it. When we can't name it, it remains nebulous and it remains like dark matter. We can't heal it. So I love this, not only the naming of feelings, but then the act of actually narrating your experience of writing something down. It's also an act of healing. It's an investment in the self and in the world that says, I am willing to name this so that it can be healed. And I think narration is powerful in that way. Narration helps us to heal trauma. Telling our story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly seems that we have a lot of opportunities for black holes in our culture and our world right now. Yeah. Um, the news out of Ukraine is not good. Yeah. What's happening in uh, 
governing bodies of this country, it just seems to me more and more divisive. And so I'm looking for hope. So yeah. I'll turn to the artist. <laughs> yeah. You know, what was the movie that um, you recommended to me? I think it got nominated for um, an award. We both watched it, but now I can't remember the name of it about um, um, kind of the end, the, the, the giant meteor heading toward the earth and kind of the end of the earth. Don't look up. Thank you. Um, remember at the end, and this is a spoiler, but there were those who weren't facing reality and trying to escape it. And there were those who were facing reality and they were sitting around at a table holding hands. And what they could say was, we did our best. So even if an asteroid hits the earth and, and, and life as we know it disappears, can we sit around the table holding hands, sharing our last meal and say, we did our best. And that's the kind of life I wanna live. You know, I just wanna try and do my best. Right. That's what we're all called to do, I think. And that's what we can do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know I get ridiculed for this, but <laughs> Judy Canota says in her book on radical amazement, there is no way out of this. There's no way to make a contribution out of this without adopting some contemplative stance. Yeah. You know, I think that what you're doing and working on your PhD is a profound spiritual practice. Whew, yeah, it has been. And the work we were able to do together over the last two years has contributed to that. So even yeah. though my work is not specifically about, let's say, the Gospel of John, it is specifically about how do we become better humans? And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for the dialogue that we've been able to engage in because it has informed this practice. Um, so the, 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 let, let's talk just a smidgen about the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then, uh, as you know, I do all the cooking in my family. And yes. I say that there are several things that you cannot have too much of in your house or that you can never run out of. And these are butter, olive oil garlic, bacon, <laughs> and maybe a couple of other things. Yeah. I love butter and garlic. Oh, I love butter. Yeah. And I love garlic too. Yeah. So occasionally I will fix, um, and this will turn some people off. I will prepare, um, I, I get a good crusty baguette, mm -hmm. freshly, freshly baked, and then I will make escargot. Ooh, yum. And the escargot are only vehicles to get the butter and garlic into Absolutely. your mouth. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I call bread. I call bread the vehicle to get butter into my mouth. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the Gospel of John is a vehicle yeah. to get the butter and garlic into our mouths. And the butter and garlic really is, um, I love the way that Jim Finley put this. He said it's really so simple. Mm -hmm. but it is so difficult to get to. Yeah. And yeah. once you get there, you would, you have to transcend regardless of the religious tradition one is in, you know, if we were uh, Muslim, we would be talking using Sufi metaphors. Uh, if we were um, Hindu, we would be talking using 
metaphors from the Bhagavad Gita. It, I mean, it doesn't matter what your tradition is. Right. There is a vehicle that gets uh, the essence of uh, love. Yeah. And inclusion and non-judgment, um, humility uh, into our lives. Yeah. And um, the minute we start to make it sectarian, we've lost the thread. Mm. 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 Yeah. So you know, the, the metaphor of the kind of mini paths up one mountain, um, perhaps you know, we've done a lot of exploring about alternate realities and multiverses and parallel realities. All of those things could be possible, but do they all still fit under one single expansive reality? You know, if all of these realities are happening at the same time, I would surmise that they're still all part of a single reality. And this is for me to just narrow it very down to the religious traditions is that the many paths up the same mountain. There's many, many, many roads toward love. There's many, many, many roads toward um, spiritual practice, toward deeper consciousness. And so often we get so trapped in thinking that there's just the one. Yeah, and, and even when you do um, decide that you're going to utilize one, I do the Christian one yeah. because it's in my DNA. Yeah. Cyprian Smith, in writing about Michael Eckhart, says, you know, every tradition does have its own mountain, and there are two ways to approach climbing a mountain. Mm -hmm. One is you can assault it directly, or the <laughs> other is that you can walk around it hundreds of times going up incrementally. Yeah. And um, I think that we're obligated to kind of put those two approaches together. Yeah. That we make a direct assault and we go around. It's, yeah. That's that's the paradoxical non-dual way I think of of Jesus. Uh -huh. That he his walking around the mountain was telling these incredible parables and stories that we're still trying to figure out, and um, his direct assault on the mountain was to challenge the religious political authority to the point where they killed it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a challenge, or I'm, I should say there's a risk always in challenging the status quo. And that risk sometimes comes to our lives, but the risk sometimes is also exclusion from your community of belonging or the community in which you've been taught to belong, either through social behaviors or through beliefs or through, <laughs> one of the things I was writing about yesterday was the black hole of memory we often put these kind of like um, denied or not often looked at or not desired to be looked at things into this kind of black hole of memory. We just make it go away, right? We've done that with our history books. We've put a lot of narratives in a black hole and said, well, let's, you know, so, they, so many have been lost. There's so many stories that we don't know because we, they weren't, they haven't been passed along. They haven't been told authentically. And, um, in that sort of divorcing of ourselves from memory, there's parts of ourselves that are cut off, right? And if we challenge that, going back to that point, there's a risk to our belonging. And moving through that black hole 
the risk of belonging being stretched to the point where you say, I don't know where I fit is hard. But I'd like to think that that tension, that being stretched to the spaghetti thinness is where growth is also. So is it, does it fit your paradigm to say that the black hole that we all face is um, death, mm. everything dies, mm -hmm. and the white hole is resurrection? Oh, I love that. Um, I had not put those words to it, but certainly death of both the physical and the metaphorical kind. We need to die to certain ideas that are not right about ourselves and about each other. And we need to be reborn into this covenant with each other. And as you say, as Richard War says, the covenant being guided by the principle that everything belongs. And that I would like to think that that's the white hole right? The rebirth is a, is a covenant of belief and belonging that we can be. So Judy, yeah. Judy Canada in her book that, that I'm re currently reading says that um, she talks about how the primordial light of the big bang mm -hmm. has been shining since the big bang. Yeah. So the light and, and, we, we might call it the light of the world, which is mm -hmm. how the early Jesus community referred to Jesus. Yeah. And she gets in this active imagination of wondering if someday when Jesus is hanging around under an olive tree, sitting in the sun, he had this awareness that um, he could be the light. He could, he could announce that the light that always has been, still is, and always will be. Yeah. And that became the metaphor for its life. Yeah. So it's just another way of thinking about the Jesus story. And to extend that metaphor, that light is in all of us. You know, that's I well, think the also challenge that that Jesus gave us is that light is also in you. In some people, it's hard to see that. Yes. Yes. And that gets me right back into judgment when I'm thinking that I know who has and who doesn't have it. Yeah. Uh, I don't, but. Yeah. We were watching. So Go ahead. Go ahead. You're watching what? Well, yesterday, um, I let my kids watch a movie. I don't usually let them watch movies on school days, but we watched um, Endgame, which is at the Marvel Universe, the Avengers defeating the, the, the sort of darkness at the part of the universe, which is called Thanos. And, um, you know, at the end, all the bad guys are snapped into disappearance by the good guys. And one of my kids said, oh, I feel kind of bad for the bad guys. They just sort of disappeared into dust. And it just led to this interesting conversation in which I said, you know, some of those bad guys could have been wanting to transform, like could have been wanting to be different, but they weren't given the opportunity. They were just snapped into disappearance. You know, it just, it was just interesting. Like no one's all bad or all good, but we both have bad and good inside of us. And always it's going to be, which wolf do we choose to feed? Always. Right. <clears throat> Pardon me. Well, right. things arise and they fall away. Anyway, I wanted to throughout the little tiny topic of black holes today to see what would happen. Oh, there you go. 
And and I tell you, I would I I'm not recommending this to Holly Hudley because she doesn't need it. But I needed it, and I would recommend to anybody out there who is looking for, <clears throat> pardon me, a way to understand um, the some of the Christian metaphors in light of evolutionary cosmology to get Judy Canota's book. Um, it's just it's just amazing mm. uh, what what how she writes and what she says, and how it fits with what you've been teaching me. Field of Compassion it, or the one you're currently reading or both? Either either Field of Compassion is a wonderful book, but the amazing transformation that she talked about in the current book whose name Radical Amazement by Judy Canada. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm loving it. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. thank you for taking time to talk to me. And, um, see you soon. Love you. See you soon. Love you too. Bye. Bye-bye.